0: Church, What I plan to do is start to feel a little bit redundant because in some ways is peace, you know, not the message uh, the computer, you know, sort of the church. to But we're here. We're here together. I'm not just in the room, but online, of morning to our online community. Uh, we are sorry for that little bridge at the beginning of the service story. when the ice cream dropped back again, hopefully you're back in the palace. And um, so it's good to be together. This is, uh, as Pastor Nathan shared at the beginning of the service, the final in our Fall teaching series, where we've addressed some of the really tough questions that the church has addressed them with. And we have perhaps saved the toughest one for last. Certainly, it's the most personal. It's the most relevant. Some would even say it's the most timely. Why is it that God allows suffering? He is so much suffering. In your mind. Some of you who are avid readers will know the name James Hurstman. A pretty reader of his philosophical fiction. James Mitchell is one of the great authors of the 20th century. In the twilight of his writing career, as an old man, he wrote down his memoirs. It started by recounting an event that took place early on in his life. This is how it went. He said, The farmer living at the end of our land had an aging apple tree. It had once abundantly produced fruit, but now it lost its energy and was unable to bear any fruit at all. So the farmer on an early spring day, I still remember, hammered eight nails, long and rusty, into the trunk of the tree. Four were not close to the ground on each side of the trunk, four higher up and equally spaced around the circumference. And then the tune goes on. And then a miracle happened. The tired old tree, having been goaded back to life, produce a bumper crop of juicy red apples bigger and better than they had seen before. And when I asked how this had happened, the farmer explained. hammering in the rusty nails gave it a shock, reminded it that its job is to produce fruit. Was it important that the nails were rusty, I asked him. Well, oh, maybe. Maybe the minerals and the rust of the nails makes it easier to digest. Well, Those eight important. I would say if you're gonna say it, if you're gonna send a message, you better make sure it's heard. Will you do the same thing again next year, how substantial flow tends to last at least a decade? It's, it's like nails hammered into the sea lives. And the nails are going the, the Book of Job,
1: probably the,
0: the Bible's most compelling, sustaining of on the subject of suffering. It's it it absolutely right when it says in Job 5, verses 6 and 7, the hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout to the ground. And yet, human beings, we are born to trouble, as surely as the swamp spark In the middle of that, somehow we want to believe, we want to hold on to the idea that the pain, the suffering, the adversity that gets hammered into our lives, yours and mine, that it makes us somehow more fruitful, more productive, we don't know. But what we do know for sure is that this better times. Beautiful three-year-old girl, diagnosed with blue bloodstone, cancer of the brain for the next three years undergoes every treatment available in this country and many that are not. This a deeply troubled young man dons a suit of armor. He wielding a razor-sharp katana goes out on Halloween Eve. By the time his bloody rampage is done, two are dead, five are dead for life. And surely, the big story that affects us all. Emergency rooms filled with the victims of the violence, so small that it cannot be seen, and so large that it's brought the world to the standstill. 10,000 dead in the country. Every three days in the United States, more people die dying of COVID than did in the and I sometimes wonder if we had like, a panometer that could measure all the units of pain, uh, all, the, all of those shocks that the system nails into our lives. How so large would the sea of human strength be? Again, this comes from the book of Job. It's Job chapter 6. If only my anguish could be weighed, if my misery could be placed on the scale it surely would outweigh all the sand of the seas. And then listen to this. The arrows of the Almighty are in me, and my spirit drinks of their poison. Amazing statement from Job. It feels to him like God is cheating poison arrows. Most just his own life, multiplied by the teeming population of the earth. Through all of its centuries of existence. 2004, an earthquake in the Indian Ocean unleashes the amount of energy equivalent to 550 million times what was released in the atomic bomb dropped on the 250,000 people killed. Just somebody's died, somebody's dying. the days that followed that catastrophe, newspapers and conversation forums were filled with the question that again is flying around the world with great vigor these days, can we really, can we believe, can we put our trust in a God who we say say is all loving, so He wants what's good for us, who we say is all-powerful, so we ought to have the ability to make it happen, can we trust that? in a world of so much suffering, and so much suffering. Most of all, but please, playwright, author, he wrote a play about Judah. And he expressed the problem in a single way. He said, if God is good, he is not God. If God is God, he is not good. What I'd like to do is walk you know, through a series of different environments in the way we and look at how it's being investigated. And I said at the beginning, these are not philosophical arguments. There are other writers who address those and address them well and, and better than I can, and you'll see them referenced in your study notes for the week. Probably the best book, the little book, is this one called Thomas. Even, there are ways of wrestling through those tough propositions, but I promise you this no amount of logical thinking or philosophical speculation will deal with the pain I'm going to take that pain very seriously. One of the books that is most troubled, most perplexed by human suffering is the Bible itself the Bible, there's a whole lot to say about suffering. The first two chapters of the Bible, if you'd like, are about what the world was like before suffering entered in. And then the final book is about what the world will look like when it's all done. But most of what's in between is about suffering. And sometimes, the Bible acknowledges this and we know that, sometimes, maybe even a lot of the time, a lot of the time, we bring suffering on ourselves, a consequence of our actions. Show of hands on this one. How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket? Yeah, on the camera, you can't see, but about half the room is lying, and about half the room is being honest, and they have their hands up. <laughs> How many of you, second question, were speeding when you got that speeding ticket? Here you go again last speeding ticket I got, I got when I was on vacation. In fact, most of the speeding tickets I've ever gotten in my life are when I'm on vacation. My first thought when you see the flashing lights appear behind you is, why me? There are other people, worse drivers than me, doing more ridiculous things on the road, even going faster. Of course, the answer, why me, is because I was speeding. so I got in the Bible, there are lots of places, like the book of Proverbs, that offer wisdom like this. Try wisely. Handle your money wisely. Your sexuality, your anger, your words. Don't blame God or the universe or other people when you've made your own mess. We all do, and we all need wisdom. But there's a lot more in the Bible that wrestles with the mystery stuff. You suffering, the suffering of the innocent. And mostly, the Biblical writers don't try to explain suffering. Mostly, they protest it. They cry it to God. In the Book of Exodus, when Israel's often flight from, from its slavery bondage in Egypt, to the suffering of Job, to the emptiness that the writer feels in Ecclesiastes, to psalms that are just a litany of complaints. To entire books like Lamentation that express that deep anguish, that lament, that sorrow, that suffering. It's an interesting fact about the Bible. That these questions, how long, what for, why, God have you forgotten us? Do you heal us we you to for the most part, the Bible is not written by people who are trying to explain evil and prove the existence of God. That is the it's written by people who are disoriented, who are overwhelmed, and who are touched by the Lately, by Exactly. It's it's like I maybe, mm-hmm. it's maybe something. to it felt I it sort of. to something it felt like it felt something it felt like it felt like like it felt like like the felt like the like Many of them suffer in the same way. And I'm facing that. I'm reminded that we all have to try to live with them. I hate the pain that I see in people's lives. I hate that people that I love carry burdens, and sometimes it looks like the burdens are unclaimed and unfair and unrelenting. And all of us, Christian or, or Jewish, or Buddhist, or Muslim, or skeptic, or none of the above, all of us get united by this fellowship of hurt and pain. And it's kind of the strangest thing that if you ask people why they don't believe in them. the existence of pain and evil and suffering is probably the number one answer that okay. And yet, most religions in the world were born out of the experience of suffering. Born specifically to address the question of pain. A young, entitled prince, Raman Siddhartha, leaves the powers for the first time. And he sees a sick, a sick man, he sees an old man, he sees a dead body. All the first time his eyes have laid, it, uh, laid themselves upon those images. And he decides that he'll devote himself to the question of something. And out of Judaism. The, the story at the center of Judaism is the exodus of Egypt when the people of Israel were enslaved and their children were being murdered. They didn't know why. Christianity begins with the life of Jesus, impoverished and pounded during his ministry, and the gospel absolutely unique among all forms of ancient biography that we know of. Because they focused mostly on his humi- humiliation and his crucifixion. They're sometimes called, but like if you study ancient biography, death stories with a long introduction. The prophet Isaiah said this about that seem as a man of with grace. And most religions are actually born of suffering. But suffering in the non suffering in the secular, or outrage in the face of something which is As a way of pointing us to the existence of the other, that may sound strange to say, there's an old author, Professor Lewis, who wrote that for many years his main reason for being an atheist is that the universe seemed to him so cruel and unjust and unfair, but over time, it came to realize that if atheism were true, there'd be no grounds for the complaint. There'd be no reason to expect any justice in the world in the future. But deep we know that there is such a thing as justice, there is such a thing as fairness. Our heart cries out for it. It's not a And so we're angered when we feel like any of that gets violated and we demand justice. There's such a thing as justice. Where does it come from? To the whole notion of fairness. It, it predisposes it demands the existence of a universe that's much more than just a bunch of atoms rearranging these things. There's not just a way that things are. There's a way that things are supposed to be. And when they're disconnected, the thought is, Evolution is simply about the survival of the fist But that's not enough. It's not enough to explain our, our desire for justice, to explain morality, to explain something, but not that. Innocent people should not stop. They should not be oppressed. They should not be abused. None of this proves the existence of that, but, but it shows that our outrage in the face of suffering is actually a hard thing for secularism to account for. Secularism likes to offer the illusion of control. And it's kind of ironic because medicine and, and technology and wealth, they have reduced so many of the forms of suffering in we world. But the, even though we live longer and healthier and safer and more educated and more affluent lives, there's very little of that practice. Has a way of overcoming the illusion that we're doing. We want to make sense out of suffering because if we think we can make sense of it, maybe then we can avoid it. People hear that somebody's just been diagnosed with lung cancer. Our probably the very first question is, "Did they smoke?" Because if they smoke, then there's an answer for their suffering. And I don't smoke, so it probably won't happen to me. If I could parent better, my kids will turn out the way that I want. If I work hard, I wouldn't go through job loss so or pain. If I, if I got the healthy lifestyle, I won't run into health problems later in life. Ironically, we suffer less than people ever did in the ancient world, but we fear suffering more than they did. The ancient world, part of wisdom, was preparing people for the fact that suffering is inevitable. One of the the famous philosophers of the ancient, you know, the man named Episcopetus, um, Aqu- said that you should constantly remind those who are nearest to you of your vulnerability and your mortality. And in fact, he said one time, What harm is good when you're kissing your child to murmur softly the all you make up? kids are all right there. The point is that they knew about suffering. For most of history, they knew about suffering. In medieval Europe, 20% of all children didn't reach their first birthday. 50% of all children died before they reached the age of 10. Well, that world loved their children. The average lifespan of a person was 35 years old. They had a worldview, though, that made sense of suffering far better than most people in our day. Because if you think we can control it, or use technology or legislation to outline it. One of the biggest questions you have to ask of any worldview is, what does it have to say to a suffering person? Every the world's most famous contemporary biologist, also, one of the most staunch advocates of the New Atheism is Richard Rockets. so he argues this. This is the message of secularism to those who are secular. He says in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, with blind forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. 50 months here in secrecy, three of its longest serving and most loved members in rapid succession. can and I sitting at the bedside of any of them with families, or families families standing at the graveside and said, some people get lucky out there. No rhyme, no reason, no justice. It's not just wrong, it's just It's wrong, it's incorrect, it's false, it's, it's based on a distorted way of looking at the world. There's a strange thing about suffering suffering has a way of pointing us beyond ourselves. Some of the bipolar said, good, some of them are fine. We have to find a number of things. Remember with shopping, or comfort foods, or a forbidden website, or alcohol? Every addiction begins as, as an escape at some point from pain. Every one of them. And every one of them ends with enslavement to pain. Every one of them. very that. famous story. that came from the, the first edition of the Manual of Psychological Medicine. which was published way back, in think, about 1850. An Italian actor goes to see his doctor. The problem? Depression. He suffered from a deep-seated depression. He despaired of ever feeling well or right as the doctor recommended this. He said, you need to go see the act of the most famous comic of the day, men named Carlini. Doctor said, your depression would have to be very deep indeed if the act of the fabulous Carlini does not have a way of it. Patience is so. not What I want to say as we move towards Is so. that part of the The Christian answer to suffering is understanding a deep, profound difference between the idea of suffering from and suffering with. We can suffer from something or we can suffer with something. We suffer from painful events and experiences and losses, large and small, often piled on top of each other. And you're experiencing something that that you very much want to avoid, that you wish and pray with all of your energy would be taken from you. You are suffering from something. It could be loss of sleep, a black child, a bad man, divorce, cancer, whatever it is. That's suffering from it. And there's also this other idea of suffering with. You something. If you choose, and oddly enough, if you do choose it, it's involuntary, it. You stop what we're doing. We go and you sit at a hospital. You listen to a mom who's just lost it for You bring a meal to somebody who's just lost the pain. I sit with my daughter in her most anxiety-filled moment. I can't fix it. And I can't make it go away. And I can do nothing but hurt with her. And yet the willingness other people have to hurt with her, somehow it happens. She's less of Part of a burden somehow shifts to them, to me. There's a bond there, there's a connection. Suffering with, it can hurt every bit as much as suffering from. But it involves this, this breathtaking kind of goodness and nobility. That gives us to the spirit of Jesus. Because Jesus is the master of suffering. There's never been anybody who did it once again. He suffered with lepers, he wept over lost people, he listened to the scandal written, he had compassion on debtors, he suffered rejection and mockery and humiliation on behalf of everybody. And the place of his ultimate suffering was the cross. I so mean, suffering from sin and guilt and death and suffering and, and doing it all for me. And we wonder in our pain and suffering, well, where is God? He's there. Our cross. And then it's pounded. Only Jesus reveals to us what no human being had ever imagined before. A wounded God. A scarred God. A broken God. John Scott wrote about the cross of Jesus, and he said this that I've entered many Buddhist temples and i stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, his arms folded, eyes closed with just the hint of a smile. But every time I turn away from that lonely, from that site to the lonely, twisted, tortured figure of the cross. plunged in was forsaken reference. Stott says, What is God for me? He entered our world of flesh and blood and tears and death. And there is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it all, we boldly stand another one. The cross that symbolizes divine suffering. The words of Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men and then come in as soon so we, we don't honor life, we, we don't honor those we love, we don't honor the courage of so many people who are born lost nobly by capitulating to this. So we fight. Jesus doesn't say we won't suffer, he says we won't suffer earth there was a time, remember this in the Gospels, there was a time that Thomas said that he wouldn't believe that Jesus had actually been raised from the dead. And Jesus appears to him and says, put your fingers here, put them right in the scars where nails went through the hands of the Son of God into a tree. And this is amazing. In other words, Jesus has a new resurrected body. He's able to eat He's able to do remarkable things. He passes through locked doors. But in his resurrected body, he still bears the scars. God says one day he'll wipe away every repair but Jesus still carries the scars. The early followers of Jesus, they were so staggered by this, they wrote that maybe Jesus maintained his scars, not because he couldn't heal them, but because they reflected the love of God more than unwounded hands ever did. Maybe there is beauty to a wounded body, but an unwounded body to that says that, that Jesus knew this unimaginable thing that through him the stars and the skies were made. But he turned the stars into stars. Who's that? And all of it points to our calling, our calling as followers of Jesus, which in Brazil, you really to this. It's why you and I are here now as the church. Paul says, this is Romans 8, Romans 8 16, that the Spirit Himself testifies and bounds to him that we are God's. We That we are heirs of God. We are co heirs with Christ. And if indeed we suffer with Him, it's in order that we may be purified with Him. There's suffering from, him, but there is suffering in Not only are we given the promise that Jesus suffers, with him, but we are called suffer with. How do we suffer with somebody 2,000 years later when Jesus tells us? Matthew 25, whatever you do for the least of these, you've done it He points to the suffering of human beings, every one of them, and says, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there, and I'm there. And I'm there. And I'm there. bleed on earth, I die. When we mourn with those, who mourn, and we listen, we sit by the side, that side of somebody filled with anxiety or disease, when you spend time and energy to come alongside somebody who doesn't have a home, when you sponsor a right to a hundred child, when you lead a little small group so that somebody feels alone in the world, somebody's own heart is breaking, as a feeling. you're suffering between, Jesus. And it's not going to happen. Let's close A deep need for suffering people, is that something good can It's not just the answer of the it's the answer of what comes in it. Not so much that suffering can be explained, but so that it can be redeemed. So a parent who loses a child to follow the wants most help of, of parents, a mom who loses a child through a drunk driver, starts an organization to fight drunk The woman who loses her mother to cancer devotes her life to caring for the lives the same The movement of Jesus got started with these two moments. A moment of ultimate suffering there on the cross. A moment of ultimate hope there in the resurrection. And the two get welded together. Then Jesus, and those who follow him, they're suffering in ways that are unknown previously to humanity, because they had a hope unknown previously to humanity. So Paul writes to the church, of he puts it like this, to Corinthians 4, we don't lose heart, therefore we do not lose heart, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory that far outweighs all of us. These are profound words from a man who will lie about suffering. Remember Paul, shipwrecked, flogged stoned in prison, persecuted, impoverished, ultimately martyred. And he calls these troubles life and home and death. Are a what he's saying is this: that you put them all on all one side of the system, every tear shed, every broken heart, and then on the other side, He put the radiant, unending, eternal goodness that we cannot fully see but we get these Because Jesus saw it. And He promised it. and said it's coming. And Paul calls it eternal glory. Is the glory then worth the suffering now? That's the best I can offer it's not an adequate but it's all of our children and born in the midst of pain. I think it's probably fair to say that every child, every woman who is born in the midst of pain, some of them unexpectedly themselves in the living room. And whether measured in hours or sometimes in agonizing days, labor and delivery is a process of pain. For the that the, the child do it's But it's not only a redeemed thing, because you're holding on to the joy of what is yet to come. In the case of each of our children, that labor was measured more than I was the day, Their lives now have stretched out 45,000 times longer than those hours of pain. They didn't know them. They couldn't possibly know the life that lay before them. The gap between a little baby becoming an adult is nothing next to the gap of a finite human being and the infinity of God who holds the scale. The gap between those few hours and the decades that follow is nothing next to the gap of a single earthly life unfolding before the canvas of all the time. Tolkien. Tolkien this wonderful morning close to the end of his epic development. The young head of an American hero, Sam Ganges, to the standby, he says that, I thought she was perfect. But then I thought i myself to the Is everything still going to come on this yeah, Yes. Not just that suffering is going to end, but it will, it gets healed. It gets reversed, it gets redeemed, it gets undone, everything sad comes from heaven will work backwards, and because heaven has taken which is the ultimate symbol of violence and hate and justice and turn turned it into the ultimate expression of and life, and then one day it turns agony, every agony, your agony, into the endless unimaginable the entire world God. Oh. So now to life. We suffer. We must people. to I hope you have that of men women who and, and just into a tree. It's the standard of God. Pray, pray and pray and persist persist you suffer